and they are gathered there, um, and they are having the first Easter service that the Kenyaki Nation has ever had this morning. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And that's where our pastor is today. And there are a lot of moving parts, as you can imagine, to making something like that happen. And, um, man, I just got to thinking of all the different people that we need to pray for. We need to pray for the interpreter. Because it's hard enough, I would think, to translate English into Kenyanki. But to translate Greek into English into Kenyaki would be doubly difficult. So we need to, we need to pray for, for those people. Um, but it's so cool. It's so awesome to think that we sit here uh, in East Texas this morning, and even as we speak, uh, Daryl is preaching the risen Savior uh, to the Kenyaki people. Um, I want to talk about the resurrection for just a second. And um, uh, as, we, as we continue with the theme of victory and uh, looking at, at what God does and what he's done, there's some things about the resurrection to me that really, really um, call our attention this morning um, that I think we would be remiss if we, if we gloss over and, and if we negate. I, I want to say respectfully this morning that the resurrection is the single most important facet of Christianity today. Daryl has done an awesome job in the last several weeks talking about the power and the glory and the sacrifice and the pain and uh, the redemption that came to us from the work that Jesus did on the cross. But as Byron said earlier, with all due respect, that is only the beginning. The resurrection is what makes everything possible. One more time. The resurrection is what makes absolutely everything possible. You hear sometimes um, people in Hollywood talking about uh, movie stars and entertainers, and uh, they're, they're the latest phenomenon on the scene, don't particularly know how to describe what they do, and they say, you know, that person has the it factor. Okay, they, they just got it. We don't, we don't really know what it is, but it's somebody that has the it factor. The resurrection is the it factor for our faith. The resurrection validates, justifies, finishes every other aspect of Scripture today. If the resurrection did not take place, then we would have to assume that none of the other things that we hold as tenets of our faith I don't care which one you want to talk about this morning. You want to talk about the inherent word of God. You want to talk about the virgin birth. You want to talk about um, 
Immaculate Conception. You want to talk about um, the miracles that Jesus did, the parting of the Red Sea, Jonah spending three days in the whale. It really doesn't matter. All of those things do not happen. They do not exist if it's not for the resurrection. Because quite frankly this morning, if we can't grasp the truth of the resurrection that it defies all logic to think that any of those other supernatural things that we read about, find comfort, find strength, find advice in this morning would be true. Resurrection is it. It is it. And the resurrection is it because it's real. Because it's true. Think about that. For, for, for just a second. You know, you, you, you read things and you watch things on television a lot of times, and even today, a couple of thousand years later, people are still trying to explain um, what happened to the body of Jesus. And the single most prevalent theory in our world today is that someone stole the body of Christ and hid it and... Um, therefore, you know, purported this idea that he had been raised from the dead. I want us to look at that scientifically for just a second. Look at that logically for just a second. At the time of the crucifixion, at the place where the crucifixion took place, in that part of the world, there are two people groups. There are Romans and there are Jews. That's all we got. There are Romans and there are Jews when Jesus was crucified and his followers laid his dead body in the borrowed tomb. We know that the Jews did not steal his body. You say, well, Cody, how do, how do we know that? We know that because of the customs and the traditions and the Mosaic law that was so rigidly ingrained in every fiber of their being. If you remember, Jesus dies on a Friday, and the Scripture tells us that they hurry to get the body off the cross. They went and begged Pilate for the body earlier than it would normally have come down from the cross so that they could get it in the tomb before the Sabbath began later that afternoon. They couldn't touch a dead body during the Sabbath. That was a life sentence. That was, that was a, uh, a curse that their culture could not overcome. The Jews didn't steal the body because the Jews wouldn't touch the body. You think the Romans stole the body? Isn't there something about Pilate getting nervous and he tells the people working for him, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to put something really big and really heavy in front of this tomb where this Nazarene is being laid. 
And then I want you to bind it up and make sure nothing can get in and nothing can get out. And if that's not good enough, I want a couple of you staying there. I want you to watch it. You don't let anybody get close. So the Romans didn't steal the body. That would have been the last thing that they wanted. That would have done just the opposite of what they were looking for. They wanted closure from this guy. They wanted this to be over. The Jews didn't steal the body. The Romans didn't steal the body. That's all we got. The song we just said, the song we just sang, so that God himself robbed the grave and the body of Jesus came forth alive. We know the truth of the resurrection even by today's standards, guys. Even by the standards in our society that mean so much to us. In a court of law, in a trial situation, nothing trumps eyewitness testimony. Even our modern technology, as sophisticated as a polygraph test, as reliable as it might be today, is not as significant as eyewitness testimony. Scripture goes to great lengths to tell us that Jesus appeared at least six specific and distinct times in the 40 days between the resurrection and his ascension into heaven. Six times. And what's really wild about that is that the very first time was to a lady. It was to a woman, and honestly, not a well-thought-of lady. His first appearance was to Mary Magdalene, and we all know the stories and the innuendos about Mary Magdalene this morning. If you're going to make something up in the first century, if you're going to make up a story to try to carry on this movement that you've been in, if that's your mindset as a disciple... Oh, we've got to do something in order to keep this going now that he's dead. If you're going to make up a story that he's risen from the dead, you don't make the first eyewitness Mary Magdalene. You just don't do that. Six separate and distinct times he appears in those 40 days. Later he appears to Saul of Tarsus. We know the story. Saul's on his, on his way to Damascus doing what he does best, killing Christians. He encounters Jesus. Paul goes on to say later that there was a time where Jesus appeared to as many as 500 people at one time. I witness testimony that he's alive. I witness testimony, personal encounters, not secondhand information. Five hundred people at one particular time. 
the disciples don't have the radical change that they have about a fictional story. That just doesn't happen. The disciples don't take the power that is the resurrection. David Palmer was talking in Sunday school this morning about how the disciples were huddled up during those three days, scared to death, wouldn't be seen in public. But after the resurrection, there's a power that comes with the resurrection that enables them to go out into all the world and encounter all kinds of horrible things and and give their lives in the process. That's what the resurrection does for them. That doesn't happen for a fictional story. You don't, you don't fight everything that you know in the world over a fictional story. Daryl Smith doesn't go to Africa and risk his safety and be away from his family and not be in his church on Easter Sunday morning for a fictional story. The greatest movement the world has ever and will ever know doesn't exist for 2,000 years because of a fictional story. There's only one element that could make Christianity be alive and vibrant today, and that is the resurrection. There's nothing else. It's the game changer. It's the deal breaker. It's what separates our faith from the religions of the world. Religions of the world are typically based upon the good deeds of a human being or the philosophy or the ideals that someone uh, wrote or, or spoke to somebody else. And all of those people who had those good ideas have one thing in common this morning. They are deceased. They're no longer with us. The game changer for us is that Jesus Christ is as alive today as he has ever been. And so the question's got to move on us this morning. If the resurrection does all of that for us, If the resurrection is it, if the resurrection is real, if the resurrection is true, and we know that our power in any circumstance comes from the fact that Jesus conquered death, why is it that we struggle with victory? Why is it that we have a hard time living in the victory that is the resurrection. See, it's important this morning not only that, that we talk about 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty seven, but we understand the context of what Paul was saying. Paul is specifically speaking not about victories in this life. He wasn't talking about note-burning ceremonies. He, he wasn't talking about job promotions. He wasn't talking about uh, winning athletic contests. Paul talks about those things in other places in Scripture. But in the context of 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty seven, he says, Oh, death, where is your victory? What you going to do now, Satan? What you got left? You've thrown everything you've got at him. And he defeated them all. So thank God, 
who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying. So why is it hard to live in victory when we know that that's been accomplished in the resurrection? I think sometimes we have to be reminded of what victory looks like. Sometimes we have to be reminded of what victory looks like. I'm going to tell you a story quickly. Several years, not several years ago, a few years ago, um, we were getting toward the end of our football season. And we had one district game remaining. We have to win this game in order to get into the playoffs. And we have to make the three-hour trek down on the coast to play High Island High School. And High Island was good. I mean, they were really, really good. And we'd had a successful season, but it was coming down to this one game. That's just the way things work sometimes. We win, we're in. We don't, we go home. It's just that simple. And early in the week, we began to hear more and more and more about just how good High Island really was. Newspaper called us. Wanted to talk about High Island. Radio station called. What in the world we're going to do against High Island? Doesn't take long Monday afternoon when I see the players to know that they have been inundated with how good High Island is. Because they're all walking around like this. Now, we've won eight football games this year, but we're walking around like this. Because we've got to go to High Island. And they're good. Now, I'm not real smart. But I figure, well, we're pretty good, too. You know, we're pretty good, too. So I came up with this little list. Steve, you have that? This little list of things that I, that I began to type out. And I called this list, okay? This is, this is you know, profound. We're pretty good. <laughs> and I had things on the list. I talk about how good our quarterback is and how we got two running backs with a thousand yards and, and the list goes on and on and on. We're scoring this many points a game and we won this. There they are, you know, a bunch of, bunch of stuff on defense. We're pretty good. We're pretty good. And I put, we're pretty good. Every place in the school. When you're superintendent, you can do that. It was in the restrooms. Boys and girls, we didn't care. In the line, in the cafeteria. Okay, big sign. We're pretty good. Everybody's locker had a list. We're pretty good. Get to the field house. Everybody's cubbyhole. As a list, we're pretty good. We quit watching film about High Island. We started watching film about us. Watching us score, watching us do things well, watching us win those eight games that we had won. Because this uh, much I know. When you think you can't win, you won't win. 
Now, there's sometimes you think you can and, and things just don't fall that way. But I guarantee you, when you think you don't have a chance to win, you won't win. And I wanted my kids to know that this thing wasn't over. That we were pretty good. So we go to High Island. By the third quarter, we're putting in the second team. And we go to the playoffs. They were good. I'm telling you, High Island was good. I figured I'm going to have to eat all this stuff, you know, but it worked. God goes to incredible lengths to remind us in his word that we're pretty good. That we're pretty good because we are the joint heirs with Christ. And the sons and daughters of Almighty God. And we could be here from this time until next Easter to put up a list of the things that God has told us in his word to remind us that we have victory because Jesus overcame death in the grave. There are several. Steve, you could put those up quickly if you would. He begins with the very first book in the Bible. God is talking to Abraham and he tells him, don't be afraid, Abram. Substitute your name right there. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You go on. We hear the story of Joseph. Joseph says, what you intended for harm, God has turned for my good. And on and on and on. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. This is in 2 Kings. Elijah is talking to his young young. Uh, assistant, and he says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. We get to uh, the new, t- uh, or excuse me, we get to Jeremiah, the verse that we all know so well, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to give you a hope, plans to give you a future, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. I know what I'm doing. It's what God says. And we know that all things work together for good for those that love the Lord and called according to His purpose. Paul tells us this in Romans 8, 28. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because this one who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That's what I had to tell the kids that week. Just because we're playing High Island and they're getting all the publicity, don't buy into this because we're pretty good. And we've got to act like we're going to go win. This is what Jesus wants us to understand this morning. I overcame it all. I overcame the pain, the death, the shame, the humiliation of the cross. I overcome the uh, the chains of the grave. I overcome the pits of hell in the three days when you're waiting on me to come back. I've done it all. Now go live like it. I got it for you. Go take it. Go get it. Of the scriptures for everyone born of God who overcomes the world. The victory. This is the victory that has overcome the world in them. In the book of Revelation, then I heard a loud voice. The great dragon was hurled down. But the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth 
and his angels with him. That's the back of the book. You can skip to that part and find out how it's going to come out. And Jesus says, we win. We win. We have victory. So live like we have victory. Live like the battle has been won. That's what he calls us to do in our day and age. Praise God he didn't call us to be crucified on the cross. I wouldn't have made it. Thank God he didn't ask me to have the power to overcome death and to overcome the grave. We would be a hopeless people. But he has done those things, and the victory is ours. Tom Landry said this. Now, a quote from Coach Landry is not scripture, but it's pretty close. (laughs) He said, my experience as a football coach, I've seen two barriers that most often prevent people from performing to their fullest potential. Past mistakes and the fear of failure. Basic tenets of Christianity remove both barriers. Remove. They are not there. They exist only as elements of our imagination. They are gone. As a Christian, my past is forgiven. I can start over with a clean slate. My past need not hold me back. Neither does my fear of failure because it is in the ultimate control of God in my life. That doesn't mean I'll always win the championship or never get fired, but it does mean that I can count on the promises of Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for my good because I love the Lord and I've been called according to His purpose. That's the victory that we have this morning. Daryl came by the house the other day as he was getting ready to, to go to Africa and he brings me all of these things that he wants me to preach. All the scriptures that were up there. I think I left one out. Don't tell him. And he's, he, we're going through the scriptures, and he says, you see that word right there, conquer? Yes, sir. And, and that word, overcome? Uh-huh. And, and, and that word, um, uh, victory? Yeah. You know what the Greek word for those are? <laughs> he said, it's Nike. Daryl's trying to tell me about Nike, Okay. He said, all of those words come from the Greek word, Nike. And he's right. What's the Nike slogan? Just do it. Just do it. If there's anything I want you to hear this morning, it is that. That what Jesus is asking of each and every one of us right now, now that he's done all that there is to do, to do, now that everything has been accomplished, now that every step of the way has been paid for us, he's saying to us, quite frankly, just do it. Just do it. I don't know what it is this morning that you need to just do, but I do know this, that whatever it is, it can and will be accomplished through the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today, and let's just be real candid with one another. 
You've never really come to that point in your life where you gave up and you had that dynamic encounter and you said yes to the salvation that is Jesus. And you know all the stuff. You know all the details and you can quote the scriptures. But the truth is this morning, you've never, ever just said, okay. That's the cool thing about God. He has a very simple vocabulary. And sometimes that's all we need to say. Okay. Okay. I get it, God. I get it. And I'm just going to do it. I don't really understand it. Way too, way too heavy for me to comprehend. But I'm just going to do it. You might be here this morning and you have, you have flirted with where God wants you to get plugged in and become active in His work. I don't think you're here this morning by accident. I don't think you're here this morning just because it's Easter. I think you're here this morning by divine appointment. And God may be saying to you, yeah, there's some crazy people in that church. And he'd be absolutely right. And this crazy bunch of people would love for you to, to be one of them. Maybe you just need to do it. Maybe there's something between you and somebody else. I don't know. Some baggage, some history, some, some uh, misunderstanding. I, I don't know what it is. You want to sit there this morning and tell me you're not sure that the God who burst out of the grave can't handle that? Maybe you just need to do it. Maybe there's something that, that God has told you that he wants you to do specifically in, in, in your life. And it may not involve going to Africa or, or anything that sounds as radical as that to us. It may be something that sounds really, really simple to most people. But for whatever reason, there's that fear of failure that Coach Landry talked about or that, that, um, that live Satan that tells us all oh, because back in 1984 I did this, that, or the other, so I'm not really worthy of doing that anymore. Coach Landry said all of that stuff was put aside. More importantly, God said all of that has been separated from as far as the east is from, from the west. There are things I want you to do. Just do it. Just do it. Whatever God is speaking to you about this morning, we're going to take just a moment for you to have a Nike moment to have a Nike encounter with the only undefeated champion the world will ever know. As Shane gets ready to come and, and lead our invitation, let's stand and let's pray together. Father, we're grateful today for the truth that is Easter. God, the Apostle Paul said, if our hope in God were only for the things of this world. We are to be pitied among all peoples. 
that if all we've got from our faith is what we can explain or what we can manipulate, if our faith doesn't have a supernatural quality that cannot be explained by the human mind, then we need to be pitied. We, we should, people should feel sorry for us for believing in something like that. That's not our case this morning. Father, our prayer is that you would forgive us when we forget the victory that is Jesus Christ. When we don't act like we live a victorious life, when when we act defeated and when we give off the appearance that, that the Christian life is really just not that attractive, Father, I pray that you'd forgive me for that in my life. I pray, Father, that you'd forgive me for not having the excitement over a real championship that should make earthly championships pale by comparison. God, if we're going to change the world in Africa, we have to do it in Huntington. just big enough to make that happen. Use us this morning, Father. As simple as we can make it, help us just do it. We trust it to you in Jesus' name.